0: I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for being able to gather together this morning. And as we gather to worship you and to be in community with one another and to listen to the word together, we pray that you might speak a word to us here and now. Speak a word to us here and now so that we might hear your words, and see your good deeds throughout the world. And be with us this morning, we pray. That's in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing our sermon series on an altar in the world. We're following along with Barbara Brown Taylor's book, the Unalter al- in the World, and some of you have been able to read it, and if you haven't been able to read it, I still invite you to get the book. It's a wonderful book. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about chapter two. We're going to be coming off of the, the practice of the presence of God, um, a practice of experience of, wake, of being present to God. There we go. Sorry. Someone honked their horn out there, and it distracted me, so thanks for that. I appreciate it. Anyway, I <laughs> so don't do it again. <laughs> Essentially, one of the things that we're going to be talking this morning about is experiencing God in the everyday. But the thing is, is that we cannot revere God, experience God, if we are not present to God. I want to tell you a, a little bit of a story. When I think about some of the altar in the world and experiencing God in the world with different people and different places and different customs, I cannot help but think about my time in Japan, and I cannot help but think about my time experiencing the Japanese students that I was teaching um, in this rural, uh, small town outside of Tokyo in, um, near Tochigi Prefecture of Japan, and I remember my first experience with that, and... Uh, the, one of the things they had every fall was sports festival. And so this was supposed to be a day when they, everyone had been practicing their dances, their drums, and their different activities for the day. But it poured for like a week before this uh, sports festival was to happen. And I, I was really kind of surprised that this element, or junior high school, the field that they practiced soccer in and the field that they ran track in, all those things, was just... They kind of a dirt gravelly field. And when you looked out the day before the sports festival was to happen, all you could see was these big puddles of water out there. And I, you know, with like kind of my Western mindset, I guess you could say, is just like, okay, well, this thing is done. I guess we have to start planning our curriculum for the sports day because they're clearly going to postpone it. And to my surprise, they all of a sudden rolled out of like the sheds and these wheelbarrows full of these tiny little cube sponges. And then all of like 200 students in the school Just went to town, and they went to these uh, the wheelbarrows, and they grabbed these sponges, and no joke, they started to sponge the entire field. They would take a little sponge and put it in the water, and then they would put it in the bucket, and then they would put it in the water, and they put it in a bucket. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. One, they're making students do manual labor, which in the United States, I don't know that that ever happens at schools. Uh, That's left to the janitors and to everyone else that's doing it. But then two, they were doing something that just seemed very, I don't know, not practical, not, uh, not functional. I mean, it wasn't the most effective way to do it. Clearly, they had some sort of machine, right, that could just blow off the dirt, or they could just postpone it and wait a day. But instead, they decided to take the time to have all of the students sponge this dirt field. And this was the beginning of my experience in Japan, and I know it comes with a lot of baggage, but my experience in Japan of the attention to detail that they showed me was none other in any other culture I had experienced. They would take the time to take these small little sponges and sponge a field. And I'm convinced it's not just because they wanted to really, really badly have that sports festival. I'm convinced that they did it because the small things mattered to them. The small things mattered to them. The attention to detail of my vice principal at the school as he uh, cared to the koi pond and the various plants around it was just immaculate. He told me how he would go to the ocean to get salt water because apparently, I don't know, it helped make the best grapes possible. And he made some solution with the ocean water to make these amazing grapes that were bigger than, you know, like the size of giant cherries or something like that. I've learned from that some of those experiences the power of paying attention to the small things. And if you've read the book and you've started to kind of go along Barbara Brown Taylor's uh, conversation around the stories of paying attention, you might think, t- you might be kind of find yourself in two camps. One, you might find yourself in the camp that says, I don't have time to pay attention to the little things. And what I mean by that is I don't have time to sponge the entire field. I don't have time to, you know, pay attention to the leaves, the blades of the grass. I don't have time to do those things. Or you might find yourself in another camp. I have all the time in the world right now, especially as we're staying at home under COVID. The story of Moses, I think, is a particularly powerful story. And what Barbara Brown Taylor reminds me of as she reads this story is a fugitive on the run, mending to the flocks, going well beyond the area that he probably should have, out into the wilderness. And then he sees a burning bush. But the key phrase in Hebrew that I think captures what he does next is it says, Moses turns aside. Moses turns aside from what he is doing and finds the presence of God. There. Moses could have easily cared more about the flock in that moment. Moses could have easily kept on going and noticed something was burning and come back the next day and say, I wonder if it's still going to be the same. But instead, out of the busyness of his life or lack thereof, he decided to turn aside and to pay attention. A spiritual practice, aside the practice of paying attention that the book talks about, is a word, reverence. Reverence means to respect the power behind something. Another uh, synonym that you might have is awe, to acknowledge the mystery and the power something has. Some of you know I, I love the Hebrew poetic and wisdom literature, and one of the themes that they have is the fear of God which I don't necessarily think is to say that we should be afraid of God, as much as it is to revere God. Not because God's going to do harmful things to us, but because God is everywhere and that we are 100% utterly reliant on God for even the breath that we take. We are reliant upon God. But we cannot revere something if we do not pay attention to something. I must admit, the practice of paying attention is probably, if you know me, one of my worst practices. Because she kind of talks about how you have to slow down at various moments. And if you know me, I move way too fast. I lose things all the time. I sometimes will get disorganized in different places. And she talks about being on your cell phone. Well, I'm on my phone way too much because I'm moving around trying to be more effective and more, you know, doing more things and doing a lot, especially during this time of COVID nineteen. If you're a parent at home with small kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about because not only are we doing work life, not only are we doing home life, we're now doing school life at home. And on top of school life at home, I now realize why they have janitors in school. Because kids are messy throughout the day at home. There is like eraser stuff all over their desk. They have crumbs because they've been snacking. They just are nonstop making a larger mess. And so what we normally had to clean is now times two and we're cleaning more. So, and, and then on top of that, for all of us that are working during this time, or at least most of us that are working during this time, We have that more that's added on in our plates. You know, I, for one, am dealing with the internet and technology way more than I had to before. I'm running around doing this and that. We're trying to do things. We have Zoom calls. We have new things on our plates that our supervisors and our bosses are asking us to do or new things that we're having to do just because we want to keep our company afloat. And so when someone tells you that you have to pay attention in order to revere it, that you have to perhaps slow down, it might fill you with just an ounce of anxiety on top of all the other balls of anxiety we're carrying right now. Some of us, like I said before, find ourselves in this time when we have more time on our hands than possible. We find ourselves wondering what we're going to do, getting bored with our time, calling friends, doing things, wondering what's happening in the community, wondering what's happening at church because, well, quite frankly, we're at home. Other than going to the grocery store and getting our essential needs met, we're not doing a whole lot during this time. Last week in the devotional, last Sunday, on Sunday morning, I asked the question, and I invite you to do the same, how have you experienced God? We only got one response, but it was from one of our kufuna. And she responded by telling me about the morning ritual that she had. And she said that she would begin in prayer and she would read the scripture and she would experience God there. But then she would turn her eyes and her ears to the beauty of the ko'olauz that she could see from the back porch, to the birds that she could hear. She attuned herself to the presence of God around us. Julian of Norwich, who is a a mystic, um, ancient mystic, she talked about, after seeing these visions, she had a vision where she saw Jesus' face, and then she was given an acorn. And she asked the question, what does this mean? And then God responded to her, in the acorn is God's presence. And in God's presence is the entire cosmos. And if you ask Julian of Norwich and other writings that she had, that if you want to understand the divine, if you want to understand who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, it is but one answer, and that answer is love. And she kept on asking throughout her various visions that she would have and her experiences with God, what is this and what does this mean? I wonder if we have that inquisitive view on the world. I told you that my life is as busy as can be, but as I'm reading this book, I'm reminded that slowing down doesn't always mean stopping everything and having that peaceful morning experience. I was driving into uh, worship this morning, and I saw a, a younger adult couple, probably their 20s, walking along the road with their dog, drinking coffee, and I thought to myself, huh, I wonder when the last time I had an experience like that was. Life just doesn't look that way right now. But as I remember that question that Julia of Norwich, Julian of Norwich asked, I think about all the questions that my children ask throughout the week. And even just this morning, as I'm prayerfully reflecting on on the sermon and my notes that I had prepared, uh, Grayson, my middle son, was outside on our, have a kind of a bench for lifting weights, and he was just going at this little screw on the bench and trying to figure out how he could move it up and down and get it just right. And I was thinking about the acorn, and I was thinking about how God's presence was in him in that sense of wonder- and awe of figuring out how something works. And although I'm still doing my normal routine of my coffee and feeding my children and and figuring all of that and preparing for Sunday morning sermon, I experienced God in that moment and was reminded to ask the question, what is in this? See, because the thing is, is that God is everywhere. We sang the song, everything is sacred. Which means that God's presence can be found anywhere at any time. But do we pay attention? What was striking about Barbara Brown Taylor's depiction of this was not just the acknowledgement that we must pay attention to the things of creation that God has made, but to the people that God has made. And frankly, as, you know, hard as it was to think about the things, it's even harder to think about the people. Because I moved to North Carolina after living in California, And I tell you what my experience was when I checked out at grocery stores. California, you get in, you get out, you talk as little as possible to the people around you, especially the person at the checkout lane. North Carolina, completely the opposite. The lady at the checkout wants to talk story with you for like five minutes. And as I'm trying to get out, they're talking story to every person in front of me. And then not only that, but they're going as slow as molasses to check everything out. And I can't tell you how many text messages to Ashley. I'll be there soon. I'll be there soon. But this checkout person is driving me nuts. Pay attention to the people and revere the presence of God in them. It is easy to think about that person, that person who's too close behind you in the car behind, that person who's telling you you need to do this and you don't want to have anything to do with it, that person that's just on their cell phone too much, that person is a person made in the image of God. And I tell you what we need right now more than ever is for people to acknowledge that that person is a beloved child of God, and that somehow, despite their politics, despite their annoying habits, God can be seen in them. whether it's the calluses on their hands from working in their garden, the gray in their hair that come with years of experience and wisdom, that person, if we treat as the presence of God, to be revered is someone who can reveal the mystery of God to us. I wonder if you'll turn aside with me this week. And I don't necessarily mean you got to stop everything. And even if you have more time than you imagine, I imagine this is an important point for you to turn aside like Moses, to attune your ear, your heart, and your mind to the presence of God. Do things differently, like taking sponges and cleaning up a puddle, even when there's more effective ways. God's presence is in the world, all around us. Do you turn aside? Will we turn aside together? So that's my prayer for us this morning. If you want to challenge, think about two things. Slow down to turn aside to see God in something this week. Beauty of the nature, scriptures, something. But turn aside this week to see someone as a conduit of God's holy presence. I invite you to pray with me. so easy, God, to put people in the other category. That person, that group, those guys. And life's so busy, it's so easy just to go throughout it routines and just do. I wonder what our world, what creation, what our nation, our local community in Hawaii, and our church community would look like we revered a little bit more? Where does the paper from my paper cup that I'm drinking out of come from? Who cut the tree? How did it get into my hand? And where will it go when I'm done? How does that person have a story, have a history? Perhaps the attitude that you're experiencing is, or that we're experiencing, is the pain of a relationship or the distress the that we all face during these times. And this morning as we gather around the Eucharistic table, the communion table with brothers and sisters across All flavors of our Christianity. Help us remember those stories. That those Baptists and those Lutherans and those Methodists are following after you in different ways and have different stories and histories. in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.